Hey, y'all, you're listening to the Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Dodder. To learn more about today's reading or to read along with us, check out jointhejourney.com. Thanks for joining. We're about to start the book of John, so here are some things you need to know before we dive in. The book of John was likely written around 90 AD, about 20 years after the other Gospels. It was likely written from Ephesus and by John, the beloved disciple. That's John 21, 20 through 25. And he was an early church leader, Galatians 2, 9, who also happened to have authored 1st through 3rd John and Revelation. So you may want to refer back to this episode in a few weeks when we start reading Revelation. Now, in John's gospel in particular, John writes as a theologian presenting his account of Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection with a unique theological presentation. Remember, each gospel emphasizes different things. Matthew, sermons, Mark, miracles, Luke, parables, and John, doctrines. Now, John's audience, it was much more broad than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's audiences. John wrote to the world at large, whereas, remember, Matthew wrote to the Jews, Mark wrote to the Romans, and Luke wrote to the Greeks. The key word for the book of John is believe, which occurs as a verb, the word believe, 98 times throughout the whole book. But one primary example of this, really well, this theme throughout the book, believe, to believe, comes from John's reason for writing, as he stated in chapter 20. He wrote, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's John 20, 30 through 31. Throughout the gospel, John clearly presents Jesus as the Savior of the world. Believe is the key word, and the audience is the world. Salvation through Christ is available to all. It's also worth noting that about 90% of the material in John's gospel does not appear in the other three gospels. This fact indicates the uniqueness of this gospel in particular. And now if you're like me, you're probably wondering why. If it was written 20 years later and is super different, shouldn't those differences cause us to question its validity? Short answer, no, actually. Given John's purpose in writing and his audience, we should actually expect those differences. One of my professors in the Watermark Institute said this about John. He said, John's unique purpose accounted for his selection of material. He omitted Jesus's genealogy, birth, baptism, temptation, exercising demons, parables, transfiguration, institution of the Lord's Supper, agony in Gethsemane, and ascension. There is no messianic secret, he puts that in quotes, in John. The kingdom of God is only mentioned twice. For example, he wasn't writing, this is Emma talking now, he wasn't writing specifically to Jews who would have been uniquely interested in a genealogy. But the way John strategically ordered information in his gospels does follow the chronology of the Jewish festivals. He was acknowledging that his audience was more broad. And my professor continued this thought by saying, the Gospels are historical accounts written to convey theological truths, not necessarily a complete and sequential biography. Thus, when we read the Gospels, we are reading limited perspectives of the same story. 
one commentator provided six helpful facts about John's relationship to the Synoptic Gospels, the other three, and I'm just going to fly through these six. So number one, John, Zebedee's son, was Peter's co-worker in Jerusalem during the early years of the church. Two, John was called one of the reputed pillars of the Jerusalem church. That's Galatians 2.9. So he was a trusted voice. The Jerusalem church was led by the apostles and James, the brother of Jesus, with Peter and John, often took initiative. See Acts 3, 4, 8, 15, and so on. Number three, during the early years of the Jerusalem church, a certain fixed core of apostolic teaching and preaching developed. After a great multitude were converted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42. Later, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000, and because of this growth, it would be necessary for a system of instruction to be set up. And this would center around Christ's messianic fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, particularly his ministry and passion. In particular, the commands of Jesus, his oral Torah, were to be taught, Matthew 28, 20. Remember, Jesus had said, make disciples, baptize, teach them all that I have commanded to you. So that's number three, core teaching and preaching. Number four, according to fairly strong church tradition, Mark's gospel is directly related to Peter's preaching. So remember, we're talking about how does John's gospel relate to the others? So we've seen now that John and Peter, they worked closely together, and now we're seeing that Mark's gospel is directly related to Peter's preaching. Acts 10, 36-43 reinforces this idea. Since Peter's preaching is basically the outline and content of the gospel of Mark, John, having been with Peter for many years, would have been completely familiar with this body of truth. Number five. This core of early apostolic Jerusalem preaching and teaching came to be written down by Mark, who helped Peter in his later ministry. After John was in Jerusalem for many years, perhaps, say, 20, he went to Asia Asia Minor and settled in Ephesus. And when John wrote his gospel, he provided, by the Spirit of God, a rich supplement to the early Jerusalem core, this core teaching. John is supplementing it. Thus, John's distinctive portrait of Jesus contains 93% original material in comparison to the synoptics. It's a supplement to the teaching that already was being circulated. And number six, last one, as John wrote, he was aware that he even his contribution contained only a small fraction of what could be said. John 20, 30 through 31 and 21, 25. That's from the primary believe passage that we already talked about. Rather than writing to one specific audience in particular, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, painted with genius, broad, yet incredibly theologically accurate strokes, seeking to share to a larger audience and build off of what had already been shared by the first three gospel writers, more about who Jesus is. Carried along by the Spirit, inspired by God, he wrote this book, telling us about Jesus. So who is Jesus and why should we care about him? Well, John uniquely highlights the seven I am statements of Jesus. These illustrative descriptions help us better understand who he is. Well, really, who Jesus said he is. He's the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and the true vine. As we read through John together, we'll explore these more. We also see seven signs throughout the book. 
water to wine, the healing of the official's son at a distance, that's chapter 4, the healing of the paralyzed man, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walks on water, he heals the blind man, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But again, we'll explore those in more depth as we read together. But another thing that's worth exploring is John's unique start to his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. Regarding this introduction, Dr. Constable says, In the beginning was the Word echoes the opening phrase of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John will soon identify this Word as Jesus. But here, he locates Jesus' existence in eternity past with God. The term the Word conveys the notion of divine self-expression or speech and has a rich Old Testament background. God's Word is effective. God speaks and things come into being. And by speech, He also relates personally to His people. John also shows how this concept of the Word is superior to a Greek philosophical concept of Word— Logos, that's the Greek word for it, as an impersonal principle of reason that gave order to the universe. And the word was with God indicates interpersonal relationship with God. But then the phrase, and the word was God, affirms that this word was also the same God who created the universe in the beginning. I'm kind of talking in circles here, but I think you get the idea. John adopted this word and used it in personification to express Jesus as the ultimate divine self-revelation of God. In view of Old Testament usage, it carries connotations of creation, revelation, and deliverance, he concludes. I wish we could keep talking about this as John 1 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, but that's all we've got time for today. And as always, I'm so glad we're all in this journey together. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? Leaving a review helps others more easily find the podcast and read along with us. So we'd love your help.